0: You know, there was a, a certain biblical concept or biblical concepts that have a way of leaping at us as we moved even deeper into the end time of humankind and mankind here on the earth. Now, we watch all the prophetic scenarios develop and work their way towards what we know is going to be the catastrophic conclusion with that world coming to an end, and we have a feeling of unreality. As we look at it, I do. I don't know about you. I don't anticipate to see, you know, mankind being slam dunked down the uh, flat on its back and, and down for the count. But we do know it has to happen. And so we look at this and I watch what's going on in the Middle East. And I watch what was uh, took place yesterday in Syria. I believe now the death count up there is 120 people were killed by the government of Syria and you know to put down this rebellion as it swings throughout the Arab nations. You and I know these things. We understand that. We get the picture like no one else on the earth. And how in the world can we understand and know those things? And you look at yourself, you know, who are you really? Who are you really when you examine yourself and you think you've done that for the Passover season? And you look at yourself, and I'm nobody. One of the concepts I'm talking about here was a reoccurring question. in our old spokesman's club, tabletop sessions, I think there was spokesman's club taking place here. And one of those topics, invariably, somebody would get up and ask for an explanation of Proverbs 22, verse 6, which states... Train up a child in a way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, there was a lot of discussion, and I'm quite sure if you're at Spokesman's Club here and that comes up, there's going to be a lot of more discussion on just exactly what that proverb means, to train up a child in a way he should go. It's not my intention to give you the meaning of that proverb in the sermon, brethren. I just want to use this as a kicking off place for the rest of my sermon, which talks about who we are as the children of God and how we are being raised up to focus on what Paul was explaining to us in that wonderful epistle, especially in chapter four, the book of Ephesians. Why is it? important for you and I to understand these concepts and understand not arguing and fighting about how you should raise up a child, but to understand the concepts that God is trying to impart to us. Paul gives us a hint. Turn over to first Timothy I'm sorry, Second Timothy, second Timothy the third chapter and verse thirteen. It says, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things you have learned and been assured of, Timothy, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say in verse 16, All Scripture, everything that we understand and know, including Proverbs 26, everything that we know is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for good works. Thoroughly equipped. Now, all of us that are in this room, have been called by God to be in this room. We have been called and placed here through that very special whatever happened. And all of us have a story to tell about how God brought us to an understanding where we would follow through on this. And we are being instructed each day we come, each Sabbath day we come, each holy day we come, each holy uh, festival season, we keep, we're being instructed as new children, the children of God. And because of that, you and I understand the concepts. And the rest of the world doesn't understand the concept of what it says about, you know, Peter, kill and eat. They don't understand that. You go through the commentaries, and that's, you know, my job puts me in, in contact with a lot of people who, you know, ask that question. Well, how come you people are, you know, sending this out, and you're doing this, and you're saying you can't eat pig? And I just had a rat burger for lunch yesterday, you know? It's good to eat, if you're in China or someplace in the Orient. You ever see those pictures of those open markets with those skinned off rats all lined up there they don't know they don't understand the concept of what god was talking about here but we are the children of god and as children we must become unified in these concepts of what we understand we must become unified in what we believe and understand because a family would be unified a father would teach his children and all of you are Many of you are parents, and you understand that you want your family to be unified, so you teach them those concepts, to be in accord with one another, as we heard in the sermon that, to love one another. Turn over to Philippians, the second chapter. Philippians 2, and let's expand on this just a little bit. Philippians 2, and verse 2. Paul says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than, than himself. Let each of us, each of you, look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. And so there is a unifying factor that you and I must understand. That as we learn God's word, as we understand that we are the children of God, that there is a responsibility to follow through with these things and come together as a church. Come together and be of one mind, as Paul is talking about. We'll talk about this a little bit more later. Now, where I want to go is... Paul's epistles to the Ephesians, that sometimes is referred to as the Walk Epistle, because it emphasizes that a Christian must be an activist, an activist with a purpose. And we'll get on to my very favorite chapter in all the, all the Bible, Ephesians 4, in a little bit. Look in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk in what? Walk in the good works, walk in the workmanship that was created in Jesus Christ. And so we understand that Christ is central here. We understand that there's something that's bigger than you and you and me. We have to look at The term walk that Paul is using here, brethren, he uses throughout the epistle of Ephesians. And it directs Christians to accomplish things, not just to know things, but to do things and to work them out with a purpose. That's the general meaning of the word walk. As Paul says here, walk in them. The Greek meaning is para, or for the Greek word is peripenteio, and it means to walk with purpose. Now we understand walk when we see it in the English word walk. We understand when well, you walk, mom well, and go for a walk. Uh, we're gonna you know go from here to there. We walk, and well, why are you walking? Well, I'm just going walking. That's not what this word means. It means you walk over there with a purpose. And you move in that direction because there's a reason for that, and you know that reason, you concentrate on that reason, and you walk over there. Now, I'm at work, and I have a, a question in my mind, and I have to get something straightened out. I walk over to Mr. Bomer's office, and I say, uh, Mr. Bomer, why? Or I'll go to Mr. McNair's office and say, I walk up there for a purpose. Not just the fact that I'm walking. This is what the word peripeteo means here. The walks are in the good works, or are calling, the right mindset. Paul goes on and talks about throughout the rest of the epistle, walk with the right mindset. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. Walk circumspectly. All purposefully. Peripeteo. Again, we'll come back to the balance of all this as we get through the rest of the sermon. There's another concept I want you to look, look at in Philippians, the third chapter, verse 16. Just to pick up on this, brethren. We're talking about walking with a purpose, peripeteo, and... Paul says in Philippians, the third chapter, verse 16, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Different Greek word. Still the same English word, and you would assume let's walk purposely. No, that's not what he's saying here. The word that he's using here is stoichio. That's S-T-O-I-C-H-E-O, stoichio, as compared to peripeteo. And stoichio means to march in military step in rank. And when you look at what he's saying here in verse 16 is, yes, we purposely walk. We're walking for something, but we walk in order. We walk in rank with step. We are the church of God. We are God's people. When we sing the Onward Christian Soldiers song, you know, there is a part in there that says, uh, we are walking as the church, uh, we walking where the saints have trod. I said, no, 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 we're not walking where the saints trod. We are the saints of God. We are walking as the saints of God in lockstep stoikio for a purpose. And you and I must understand that concept. We must understand what Paul is driving at here with this entire beautiful point of view of doing good works. And we're Christians. The children of God would do that. All right, back to Ephesians and the fourth chapter. I want to cap the concept of understanding unity, we're talking about being one and being unity and being in rank and lockstep with one another and to march. How many were in the, have been in the military? There's some of you, all right, and a lot of you have been out there doing monkey drill and all the rest of this stuff, you know. And, and why was that done? It was to bring a unit into a mindset to be moving as one. It says. To turn to the right, ha, turn to the left, ha, and you did that. And the whole troop went that way. They did that. Our, my drill instructor in the United States Air Force way back in the 50s never counted cadence. He would count cadence to get us started, but he instructed us that we had to listen to one another. How did you do that? How did you hear one another? You dug your heel in. We marched according to the sound of our brother in rank, in unity. And all he would do is tell us when to turn, oblique, reverse, halt. And the rest of the time, we were the silent platoon on that parade field. Everybody else was just singing and shouting and doing all kinds of stuff. Not my platoon, it was silent. And you could hear those heels dig in. And we stayed in step because of that. My point is that is what it was about. The concept was to be in unity so that if something came up on a battlefield, we were together, we knew one another. Paul talks about that quite often in his epistles about being good soldiers and being unified. I want to cap that concept here. And the difficulties of changing our natures by providing a method by which you can accomplish what we need to attain in unity. I know, we're unified. We're all God's body. We're all God's people. But you know, sometimes, rather than we go this way, go that way, what happened to the Church of God? It <laughs> blew up, didn't it? Nothing left of it. Except... Those who understood the concept of unity. And they heard a voice, and they followed that voice. It was God's voice working through a man who had been in unity with the original individual that was raised up to start the modern era of the church. Herbert W. Armstrong, that was Rod Meredith. And we needed to get in unity, because the whole thing was being torn apart. Acts. Eat. It's good for you. Rat Burgers. Sea slime, you know, the whole bit. It was not unified. And you and I left that because there was no unity of purpose there. The center to this chapter is verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Tremendous amount of words there, brethren. That I could just stop this sermon and and launch into the fact of what these words indicate. To the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. Look at me. Look at me, please. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's what he is talking about. We are not to look at anything else except the measuring stick. metron. That is Jesus Christ and him alone, his result, who he was, as he accomplished, we are to accomplish. And so we look to this measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We do that as a group, as one one body, one body we, all in harmony. This unity results in growing to become... A perfect man. Who? You? Me? Perfect? We're perfect? That's the result of this. If we look at this concept and come to this knowledge of what God is teaching here, these concepts, then we grow into that purpose. Perfection. Is what God is looking from us. And in many ways, brethren, you see scriptures in here that we're, we're going to get into and that many more that I'm not even going to touch on that talk about you and who you are. Who you are as a human being called by God, given God's Holy Spirit and what that has done to you and what does that mean to God when you follow through? Now we're in this room. On this day, which pictures, you know, the wave sheep offering, we begin the count today, or tomorrow rather, from tomorrow after Sabbath. So tomorrow we begin the one, two, three, four, five. The fifty days. It's a very important Sabbath. And you're here. And you're here with this concept of the holy days and you're unleavened, you're new lumps. What does God think of you? What does He really think of you? Because you are obeying Him. You're doing these things. Well, you know, a bunch of nasty kids. That's all they are. Just a bunch of nasty kids. They never do anything right. Though so you're doing things right, and God appreciates that greatly. Talk about that a little bit more later, too. All of this comes as we grow in the understanding of God's plan. We're here because of the Sabbath. We're here because of the Holy Days. That's part of God's plan. We're here because God sent Jesus Christ to earth as a man. He sent him here, totally flesh, totally human. I may be overlapping some scriptures here, brethren, but please be patient. There is a method to my my approach to this. But it's vital for us to completely understand what Paul is saying here. That we should grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ to a perfect man. Paul says we must become that perfect person, reaching that measure of that stature. Where do we start the measuring? You gotta start someplace. Let's begin in verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's where we can start. We have a a place where we have to put on something. We have to do something It's incumbent upon us to do it. And we can do it because we are God's children. We are God's children because we have his Holy Spirit. What we once were has been replaced to a large degree, by the truth of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came, and because he came, we celebrated that the other night, uh, almost a week ago. We took the Passover, and we ate to the oneness, not only of Christ, but to one another. As brothers and sisters, we ate and partook of that oneness, of one another, and the unity and the purpose of God, to be like they are, to be as they are, Som- some day. Verse 17, this I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk, peripeteo, as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Pass the rat burgers, please who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The world that you and I live in. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off, concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now, I've got about seven or eight different sermons that I'm boggling around up in the air here trying to balance out brethren because I could launch into any one of those and I have in the past you know these are these are part of a combination of, of a series of sermons that I've already given and there's so many things I could I could get distracted we can't do that today I got to stay on I got to stay on, on track everything changes for a christian And it certainly implied that we change because Christ lives in us. That's the center point. That's the whole reason why you and I are in this room is because Christ lives in us. God called us. We yielded to that calling. We were baptized. The hands were laid upon us. Those of us who are baptized members, those of you who are yet uh, moving in that direction are called to that and Christ lives his life in us. A couple of Greek words I'm going to look at, that we just looked at. The word renew is enaneo. Enaneo. I speak Greek with a southern accent. I'm sorry. The meaning of the word is to make new in the mind. To make something new in the mind. This is the only place In the New Testament, where this word and a new is used. But it has to do with renewing the mind, making the mind new. Very similar meaning to a word that we need to look at. Uh, There's a concept I need to teach you. It's called a sticky concept. And if you got stickies or you got something to market, Put it there in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, coming back, and we're going to be flipping around. And it's always nice to have stickies. And um, (laughs) because you can pick them up without ripping your page in half and uh, put them down, and we knew them every once in a while. But stickies work really well. Turn over to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians. So look at another word here that's very similar to the word that we just got done defining the fourth chapter, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And you have to go back and plug that into the context of what Paul is talking about. But look at that. We are, because we do not lose heart, and even though we're getting older, some of us are really getting old, uh, We're being renewed day by day by something. Colossians, the third chapter. Colossians 3 and verse 10. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know Paul was thematic. He 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 stayed on a the theme, and it's it's throughout the entirety of his entirety of his, his uh, teaching. The word here for renewed is anakainoal, and that's a n a k a i n o o, and it means new strength and vigor given to make one new. So we have a, a correlation of of our minds being made new by Christ, and because we do that, we are renewed in many ways, physically, spiritually, more eager to continue on doing what we're going to do. We don't lay down and die. We don't just give up the ship. We continue to fight. We continue to go on. Because we're renewed and given strength and vigor mentally, our minds are reformatted, through that spirit that God has given to us. Now, in regard to verse 10, we're talking here in in Colossians 3, verse 10, the word man, in new man, if you notice the word man is in italics, it's not in the Greek, but it is implied from verse 9. If you go up there and say, do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new who is renewed... Man is implied there. Just a bit more Greek, if you don't mind. The word new there is neos, N-E-O-S, and it means recently born or youthful, being young. The man remains the man. (laughs) None of us are born again yet. None of us are born again. Remain human. But we have God's Holy Spirit. We remain human. The old ways are dead. Because the new mind shows us by comparison that those are wrong. And so we put those off. We get rid of those, those concepts. We put off the old ways of living in sin. But we still exist as human beings, don't we? And we remember every stinking, lousy thing we have ever done wrong in our lives. Don't we? The memories of sin. But we don't sin anymore. I don't want to sin anymore. God, Father, help me not to sin anymore. I have an entire different point of view about how I want to live. And you have shown me these concepts, and you have shown me I can overcome these things. But I stumble so often, and I fall so often. I want to make a point here. You must understand that Paul is talking about when he says putting on the new because it's central to the growth process for you and I to solve this issue, this confrontation with who we are in the memories. I can still remember things, be animated by things, and to think wrong thoughts, and and to desire things that I would never, ever bring to conclusion, but I have them in my mind. There's a purpose for that. Brethren, we'll talk about that later too. But we put on the new, resulting, when we do, in the measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. We put that on. We become renewed in our minds. Colossians, the third chapter, in verse 1, going up in the context a little bit, in If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden uh, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. It's the promise that has been given to us, brethren, as we... Work out our own salvation as we look at this unity that we need to do as one another, with one another, as the expression of our, our, as Christ commanded to love one another, not as the world loves, not as we used to love, uh, love others as you love yourself. A new commandment I have given to you that you should love one another as I have loved you. He said that twice. In John. The night before he was rudely murdered. And so this is the unity of purpose that we work on, and we have this, this classroom that you and I work in, the brethren, the church. What does this consist of, this linking of being raised in Christ and seeking those things from above? Look at verse 10 again. And have put on the new man... Who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor jew no no difference because we have put on Christ the new man Cir- uh, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all in all, therefore, as the elect of God holy. And beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. I have one rule in Statesville, and the only law that I have, you know, we follow the book, but I have one, it's, it's Amen 1. You step on somebody's toes or somebody steps on your toes in services that day. You do not leave this building. You do not go out that door until it is resolved. And if you do, brethren, I tell them, I am going to weep. I am going to cry. And then I'm going to shout and do all other things. You must do this. And this is basically what, what Paul is telling them here. We need, if you've got complaints, you've got things with one another, solve the things. Do what Jesus Christ said in Matthew 18 and come together. Get it resolved. But don't go home and stew on it. Don't go home and, and, and rail at your wife or your kids because somebody stepped on your toe. Somebody stepped on your toe. Solve it right then and there. And he goes on with more scripture here, brethren bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all things, put on love, which is a bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Unity. And Paul desired it deeply. He desired it for his church. And I I know this is something that Mr. Meredith speaks of often. He said, we need to pull together. We need to be one body. Back to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. The old man. And that's what I was. I'm not accusing anybody here, but that's what I was. And I would hope that a few of you would stop and look at who you used to be, too, and say, yeah, that's, that's what it's about. And we put that off because it's not really what I want in my life, and it's not how I want to live my life from this point on. This implies that there is a requirement on us. Works. We've got some works that we have to do. We have to do this. That means I need to understand why... I feel the way I do about you. I got to analyze that. I've got to examine that, and so we do that, right? Passover comes along. Well, you know, once a year, we sit down, we analyze, analyze ourselves, and you have what against your brother? Go to your brother and then take Passover, and that's taken care of, right? Wrong. Because if that's your attitude, brethren, you're never going to get that unity that you're looking for. Better yet, what you need to do is kind of morph over to a non-Passover scripture in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 that says examine yourself to see whether or not you be in the faith. That's not a Passover scripture. It is a day by day by day, week, month, year, 24-7. Process to examine ourselves, to see whether or not we are into faith. The faith has to do with what? My brother, my sister in Christ, my family. It's something I must do. I must reconnect. I must put away from myself those things that are wrong. And this is basically what, what Paul is indicating here, brethren, to put off the old man, to get rid of that old man and be renewed in the spirit of our minds. In verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Our minds are not only to be made young again, but renovated. Everything about our minds are going to be changed. How could that be? How could that possibly ever happen? Because you have God's Holy Spirit. What does that mean to you, that I have God's Holy Spirit? Well, everybody should go to Romans 8, right? Romans 8, and say, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you have none of his. Well, what is that Spirit? What is that Spirit all about? What has it done to you? You go to First John, the second chapter, and it talks about the Spirit of God being in you maybe the third third chapter freestyling here it talks about the spirit being in you the spirit being sperma the very DNA of God almighty in you and it makes you his he has altered your mind he is now not just in you uh, and that, you know, it's with you, but it's in you. Christ prayed that and said that before he prayed that. He said, and the Spirit is with you, meaning that he was there and the Spirit was with those men in that room. But when I leave, it shall be in you. And that concept of the sperma, of being impregnated by the very Spirit of God, alters your mindset. And the only way that's going to be Rectified, if you don't want it, is to quench it by grieving it till the point where you can quench it. because God will not take that away. And so this mindset grows to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. And we move to a new perfect man based upon what was given to us at our baptism, what we celebrated with the Passover, what we celebrate through these days of unleavened bread, this process, these concepts, brethren, that make us grow and grow and grow. And when we do that, you can't do anything else but expand and envelop those who are sitting next to you. And it, that's, it doesn't stop there. It continues on as we go through the plan of salvation, as we grow and expand and, and gather in our brothers and sisters, because we're all of one mind, we're unified. It moves out and gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it spreads out beyond these walls, and it spreads out into that world that someday you and I will be helping because of what we're doing here now in unity and this purpose growing. A Christian's mind is renovated. It's changed. Not only its general complexion, but the very essence of it, the very human essence of it, all the faculties, all the powers, everything that is you has been altered by the Spirit of God. Two processes. You can quench it or you can yield to it. If you yield to it, brethren, you grow in the grace and the knowledge of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to his measure, knowledge, stature. No longer humans. No longer humans anymore. But God beings yet to be born. I'm going to prove that to you before this day is out, before the sermon is over, brethren. To prove that to you. You're alien. The world doesn't recognize you. We heard that in the sermonette. You, these people don't understand why you continue on keeping those old Jewish laws when you can be out there picking it up and lobstering it up and doing all shelf how about those mussels and tussles of live, alive oh, you know. oh give me that old pork sandwich they don't understand this because they don't have your mindset they don't understand the concept of the unity with God and someday we're going to teach them that. And they will not. They will not do those things that they do. This renewal, this renovation, this newness is not without a pattern, brethren. It's designed by Jesus Christ himself. Look in First Corinthians, the second chapter. In verse 16. For who has known the mind of the eternal that he may instruct him, but we... Christians we have the mind of Christ so we have Christ's mind that's a pattern that's a design but to understand what he's talking about here we need to go over to Philippians back to Philippians the second chapter and verse five As Mr. Lyons talked about it in his, his sermonette but I want to take it a little step further Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. The mind that was, not the mind that is. How can that be? Well, the mind that was, was the mind he had when he was on earth. When he was here as a human being. Totally, completely human. Just as human as you are, I mean he worked, functioned, thought, felt, did everything you do, was as tempted in every way you are, as a human being, that's the mind that we have. How can that be? Through the Spirit of God. And that mind must grow, and must grow to the stature and the fullness and measure of Christ. It must do that. And we can do that, brethren, because we have God's Holy Spirit that helps us. And we have the template. To help us. We'll talk about that a little later too. I don't want to be repetitive, but we need to go back and look at a few verses here. Show why Jesus Christ came. Hebrews 2 and verse 17. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. He suffered by the temptations, not just the, the crown of thorns, not just being nailed to a stake, not the spear wound, Those are all sufferers. Yes, they're human. He understood what it is to die and understands what it's like for a human being to be butchered as mankind likes to do so with mankind. But just living, just living, looking as a man at the beauty of the creation that God made for man. As Adam said, when he first saw Eve, this is it. Wow. He knew that. He saw that beauty. Brethren, he was a man. And he reacted from that level. He had to, to understand the, the nature of a man, he had to understand that. And he's, that was a suffering, not in this case, bad suffering. It's pleasant to have conversations with people and with the opposite sex. It's wonderful. And he mixed it up, and he did that. He learned and he understood. Please understand that word, suffered, does not necessarily mean pain and anguish and agony and woe. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But his mind, that mind of Jesus Christ, is the mind that you and I have. That same mind, that same spirit-begotten mind. He had the mind, he had the spirit of God without measure, and you and I have the spirit of God, so we can think like he thinks if we put off the old man and we do our thing of rejecting that through the power that God has given to us. that we may grow to be God's new, new children, but still remain human beings living in this totally, absolutely depraved world that we live in. Notice the emphasis back in Ephesians 4 and verse 24. Ephesians 4 and verse 24. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness the greek word for new here is kahinos, kahinos, kainos kainos k a i n o s and it means a new kind uncommon unprecedented there's never been a precedent for this creation speaking of you Unprecedented. With the Spirit of God in us, we are a new creation as Christians. Not talking about when you're going to be up there and playing your harps in the clouds, rolling around heaven all day. He's talking about now. You are unprecedented. There has never been anyone like you. Like Christians before, you are brand new. The concept of God's plan of salvation and the concept of the plan of God. Kinos. This voice of the Greek speaks of freshness. And it's important to note that this new man is fashioned at God's direction. He created according to God. God is the one that set this purpose, set this way up. His direction. And it's based upon true righteousness and holiness. And you go back and you plug it back together, and you put those words back together in its context, and that you put on a new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You, talking about you and me being righteous and holy. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God. And because we are his children. And we're made that way. The new man is based on God's law. It's written in our hearts. It's written in our minds. We are Christians based on that new law. He used the same word in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If any man is in Christ, if you are a Christian, you have God's Holy Spirit, you are in Christ. He is in you. Remember what was said the night of the Passover in John 14, 15, 16, and 17. He would live in us. We would be one because we ate together. We ate the bread. We drank the wine. Together, one unity. We are that purpose of God, and we are new. A new creation. Unprecedented in all the world, ever, in the history of mankind. Need to look at this just a little bit more, go a little bit deeper underneath brethren because a Christian being different than any other individual is different than any other individual described in the word of God you are unprecedented the Bible shows us that brethren If you are in Christ a Christian, you are a prototype, a new model of human being. The word creature or creation in the Greek is kistis, K-T-I-S-I-S. And it means creation, not the same, but different, new. What does that mean? What does that mean? Is Paul talking about something that He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. He's talking about Christians. And if you are a Christian, you're different. You're new. You're unprecedented. You have never, nor has any other human being ever existed on the face of the earth as you are. What Paul is talking about here. God is the creative force here. He is the one that has ordained us. Ephesians, the second chapter. We looked at that earlier. Ephesians 2, and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a template that is established here, that's never been used before. A template is Jesus Christ. And when Christ abides in us, and we abide in him, we have the mind of Christ, we have going with us, brethren, the template. And how you and I can overcome all this nonsense that's taken place in this world is because It's always there. We have the comparison in us. He lives his life in us. And when we are tempted, when we see something that we would like, no, Jesus did not do that. And we have that template. How did he live? Uh, I don't want to do that. No, 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 I will not do that. We have that template. That's written in us. Christ lives in Us, as Christians. And as we live our lives, brethren, he must always be there. Unless you're left-handed. All right? He's always there. And we have that. Scripture shows us very, very clearly, brethren, the importance of having Christ live his life in us. The purpose is a different force in the world—a force of doing good works. All this is 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 about what you and I are here to do. We do the the, the preaching of the gospel. We we learn a method and a lifestyle of living that the rest of the world doesn't understand. That when we hurt one another, we understand that hurting one another has. Something to do with me not understanding that I hurt you. Now I understand. I need to repair that, that unity, that purpose. And so we give of ourselves in that way, always having that that template of Jesus Christ there. Purpose of different forces in the world. You prophesied incidentally. Turn over to Isaiah. Isaiah 43. Interesting scripture here in Isaiah 43, brethren. I want to pick up on Isaiah 43 and verse 19 and verse 19 behold I will do a new thing now it shall spring forth shall you not know it I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert we definitely know this is the time that is coming yet ahead The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. But this people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. They shall declare my praise, he said. This people that he has formed for himself. Talking about a prophecy of days, someday in the end time, as all of this works, there would be a people that'd be different. Psalm 102. Psalm 102. And we'll pick it up in verse 18. This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created. May praise the eternal. For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven the eternal viewed the earth. And heard the groaning of the prisoner. To release those appointed to death. To declare the name of the eternal in Zion. His praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples are gathered together. And the kingdoms to serve the eternal. These are statements of God, his plan to rescue Israel. But it hints strongly here of a new creation, a new created people. Verse 18, if you go back and look at this, this will be written for the generations to come for a people yet to be created, to yet, not yet created, but to be created. The Hebrew for the word created there is bara, B-A-R-A. And it always means, when it's used, bara always means God is involved. God is the one who creates. And in this context, it's definitely involved in the birth of something new. A new creation. What is created is a people and the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance defines the word people here as a tribe, collectively. Troops or attendants, figuratively, a flock. He created a flock. He is in process of creating a flock that will lead the praise and that will help him to establish. Think back and, and put in context in in Psalm 102 works out a little bit better. And please do these things, brethren. Please contextualize everything you hear. Don't take a scripture and pull it apart. I don't deliver my sermons that way based upon the context. And that's a Bible study and a half for you to do that. It's it's a good thing to go through. I believe this puts it in perspective. There's a need for a newly created people of God a people who think like God thinks, who are practiced in understanding the ways of human beings. You're practiced, aren't you? Every one of you, every one of you, brethren, that hear my voice are human, and you have lived human lives. Some really not the best human lives. God has not taken the memory of that away from you. Because he is seeking a people. He is seeking a people who are practiced in human experiences, who have suffered as Jesus Christ suffered so that they now know and understand Their creation. They learned, he learned. What does that mean that Jesus Christ learned? Didn't he always know? Wasn't he God? Didn't he know these things? He learned by those things that he suffered. What he learned was what you and I experience. And yet without sin. Because he he had the best template in the world God the Father. And his own experience, when he became sentient and he understood who he was, he had that template, and he could say, no, I'm not going to do that. Satan, get behind me, get away from me. It's written in in the scripture, you shall worship the Lord your God only. Go back to Matthew 4 and look at that. But he learned these things, and you and I have learned those things And we would like to really forget them. But we face a time, which comes with the rest of the plan of salvation, in the end time, the last great day. We face a time when all humanity is going to be resurrected and given their first opportunity to understand what you understand now and be taught that by you. And if we did not know what we know, could we ever hope to cope? Could we? I tell a, a friend of mine, well, a brother, when I go see him, it's difficult. And I generally every other week, I go and I do a pastoral visit with Bill, and we sit down for an hour and a half and have Bible study and talk and and have that fellowship that he doesn't have. He's one Christian amidst 1,000 totally, absolutely unconverted people who are the dregs of society, the most horrible. They're in there for a reason, brethren. They're not there because they're ideal citizens. And he lives in that. And he has to function in that. The temptation goes beyond anything you and I see. Is because he is constantly bombarded by crime. The whole process of the criminal mind. And he lives there. And it's difficult. He's been there for 11 years. He's got nine more years to go unless God removes him. So we sit there. What do we talk about? How do, you, how do you encourage somebody that's in that mess? Do We talk about the fact that, you know, Bill, someday, when God resurrects all of the rest of humanity, the only one that I know, that I personally know, that understands the captive prison mind, the convict's mind, is you. And if I have some problems, my sector, wherever I have to do what I have to do with, with human beings, about somebody who cannot relate because he was a prisoner in a dungeon 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago, and that's all that individual ever knew of it, the life was blackness and blackness and rats and blackness, the prison mind, the prison mentality, you would have to be the one I'd have to come to because I do not relate to it. My point, your experiences are going to be absolutely valuable to factor out, to sort out the horrible, horrible dregs of society that are going to be resurrected, and that's billions of of human beings. We pull together. We understand that. We understand that we're unique. And we appreciate that. And as we struggle against those things that pull against us and push against us, we look at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we have that comparison always there. And we're going to be able to relate because we practice it here. And we know, because this is what we do, and we are succeeding at it. Well, we stumble every once in a while, but we pick ourselves up with God's help. We repent. And we go on stronger, because we're not ever going to do that ever again. We go on into the unity. And we help. And we're going to assist. We practice it here. What does God think of that, brethren? What does God personally think of you? Put your name there. What does he think of me? What have I done? What am I doing? Am I in the faith? Or am I reprobate? I must examine myself. Template. Jesus Christ lives in me. And we have that there. We practice it, brethren. Don't let anybody, don't let anybody destroy your personal crusade or personal self-crusade to overcome by being negative, by shouting at you or whatever it is. Went through all that, brethren, many years ago in a former, former association. Right before services, somebody had asked me about that, 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 that term, thou worm Israel. You know where it is, don't you? What does that mean to you? Thou worm Israel. Well, of course it means worm. Yeah, you know. You see, you put them on a hook or, you know, you stomp them. You go out on my peach trees and there's all kinds of worms out there. Is that what he's talking about? That that's what he looks at you as? Worms? You need to know the answer to that question, brethren. Because that's not what he is looking at. He's looking at sons and daughters. That he invested the very life of his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life as worms. No, he doesn't look at you that way, brethren. Neither does Jesus Christ. They love you, and they are pulling for you. We have to learn, we have to struggle sometimes, and it's probably for our benefit that we do but we, they will never abandon us. They will never leave us. They promise that. they will never take that Holy Spirit from you. Never take it from you. Because it's part of who you are. It's part of your, your mind, and it's melded into it, making you a prototype of something that is absolutely different. Never before. un. Precedented. We have much we have to accomplish yet ahead, brethren. Much we have to accomplish, and we need to keep in our minds these wonderful concepts, so that we don't stumble, that we don't fail. A newly created people of God, who think like. God thinks, are practiced, and understanding the way of human beings, we gain a better understanding, because of that, about the church, and about what Paul outlines in Ephesians the fourth chapter, and verse one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, walk worthy. "...of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." The unity of the Spirit, brethren. That Spirit is the same. It's the same in you. It's the same in me. It's the same in your brothers and sisters. You look at one another here. Turn and look at one another They have the same spirit that you have. And it's a unifying spirit. It's a spirit that uh, permits you to apologize when you have to. And to assist when you have to. And to sacrifice when you have to. That same spirit. Some have it more than others. You know, I, I certainly don't rank myself with, you know, the uh, the, uh, Mr. Meredith has, you know, God's Holy Spirit. He, he, you got to sit with him and, and listen to him talk sometimes. Such understanding. And I kind of struggle along a little bit, you know, and I think, wow. But he's got God's Holy Spirit. He's had it a long time, and he's grown in that spirit. Mr. Ames and and Dr. Winnale and, and I can look at my... My new boss up there, Rod McNair. Wonderful, wonderful concept of growing and bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. And we grow to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. Because of that spirit. And we do it because we are unified. We are in one mindset. And we ate that the other night at the Passover. And it makes us one. Verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You got a King James Bible in your hand? It's wrong. There's a comma there. There is no comma there, brethren. What I I read to you is the truth. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. The government is here to equip you for that role someday, brethren, of assisting Jesus Christ with one of the most incredible projects that will ever, ever exist on the face of the earth. The second resurrection. Till we all come to unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ, and we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man. What man can come in here and tell you, brethren, that you're wrong? What man can come in here, walk through that door, and would say, "This is all wrong, get out of here. you, you people are wrong." I noticed on the on the, the uh, bulletin that Mr. Ames has got another one of his famous programs, which is going to result in every Baptist minister in the entirety of the entire world calling sometime next week. Can you handle that? Can you handle what this man is talking about in this program tomorrow? And has been talking, I guess, it's been on the internet, I'm not really sure, of what other stations. Of course you can. Why? Because you've been equipped, and we've been equipping you, the church, the government of God, have been equipping you for the role of the ministry. And you're able to do that. Some not as good as others yet, but you're working on it. Time is moving rapidly to the place where we no longer can be just children, brethren, dealing with the milk of the word. Go back and look at Hebrews, the fifth chapter, and talks about Paul saw that, and it just bothered him greatly that these people needed only the milk of the word. When they should be teachers, when they should be able to be out there able to go to the Tomorrow's World special presentations and stand there when somebody comes up and says, boy, are you guys ever messed up? And say, well, no, sir, that's not being messed up. It's what the Bible says. And be able to do that. See, we should not avoid that. (laughs) We should not avoid the opportunity, the interplay, because we have been instructed to grow to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ And to preach as Christ preaches. No longer just on the milk of the word. But we must become as in our flesh, brethren. Just like Jesus Christ when he was in the flesh. Just like he was. The mind that was in him. Christ's mind. And this is doable because of God's Holy Spirit in us. Galatians 2.20. Let's turn over there just for a minute. Galatians 2.20. I don't have it memorized as Mr. Meredith does. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's the template. He's there. He's always there. Never, ever have to worry about Christ just disappearing like that. The only way you can make Christ go away is to grieve him, is to push him away, is to push him away. I, I don't want to do that anymore. No, no, no. I don't want. You push him away. And when you push him far enough, brethren, you've quenched it. We, I, I guess all of us understand and know what Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 is all about when that happens. But that's not who you are. And I want to go there negatively. You are because of this. Christ lives in you. He has, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we do these things. Christ doesn't do it for us. We do it, and we want to do it, because Christ lives in us, provides that template. We must put on this new man. We must do these things. He lives in us to provide that template, the pattern by which we compare, allowing us to discern both good and evil. You go back again to Hebrews, the fifth chapter, that talks about that, about the milk of the word, so that we can discern what is good and what is evil. And the pattern, the measure, the stature, the fullness. I want to close with these wonderful scriptures, brethren, in Romans, the twelfth chapter. Romans 12, in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Those words mean just exactly that. We are to present ourselves... As Christ presented himself to be willing to sacrifice, willing to give of ourselves, willing to to unify and whatever it's going to take to unify, whatever it takes to help, to assist. Should be willing to do that. God expects that out of us. Why does he expect it out of us? Because we're his sons, his daughters. He expects that out of us because we have been given his spirit. He expects it out of us because he sacrificed his only begotten son. And that's a reasonable thing to come back. And you have that template, you have that pattern. How did Jesus Christ live his life? It's there. It will always be there. He will never take it away. In verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformed. Literally transformed. You who are unprecedented, new, never before, ever, 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 until Christianity came along, Christians, a prototype, a new creation. Never before, brethren. Does that make us better than anyone? No, it just loads up a whole bunch of responsibility on you to do it right. Because he did. And I want to do it that way too. I want to be just like my elder brother. I want to be just like my dad. That's what we have to be. That's what we have to do. And we prove what is good by comparison, just as Jesus Christ did, because we do not allow the world brethren to consume us any longer, to abuse us any longer. The mind that we have and we continue to improve upon the mind of Jesus Christ is being renewed in us. And because that is being renewed in us, it's causing the transformation of you and me into a new creature a new creation. You, the sons and the daughters of the living God.